assiduously collected, it truly was a passion for collecting, a trait which leads a man to be a systematic naturalist, a virtuoso, or a miser. It was peculiar to me and my family. None of my sisters or brother ever had this taste. Not long after this, I was sent to the Shrewsbury Grammar School, the headmaster being Dr. Samuel Butler, afterwards the Bishop of Lichfield. His idea of teaching was based on the classics, and the study of Latin and Greek were a little to my taste. It was not long before my father called me to his study. Charles, I've been giving most careful thought to your future. It would appear from Dr. Butler's report that you have proved a disappointment in many subjects, particularly in the classics. I've decided, therefore, to remove you from your present school and to send you to Edinburgh University, which I and your grandfather both attended. You may join your brother Erasmus there. As you're no doubt aware, he is completing his medical studies. You will commence a similar course. Hopefully, in time, we may make a good doctor out of you. When I die, I intend to leave you enough to live on in comfort, but of course, the real riches, the real rewards of life will only come to you through dedication and hard work. You leave for Edinburgh in October. I regret to say I did not take too kindly to Materia Medica and soon decided that attending lectures was a waste of time. To my young mind, there were no advantages and many disadvantages in lectures compared with reading. Even so, Lectures in Edinburgh were compulsory, and attendance at Dr. Andrew Duncan's lectures at eight o'clock on winter mornings was something fearful to remember. In any case, convinced that my father would leave me property enough to subsist on with some comfort, I made no strenuous efforts to learn medicine. Did you have an opportunity to continue your passion for natural history? <laughs> Indeed I did, yes. In company with several students of like mind, I made frequent excursions to the Firth of Forth, to the coasts of Fifeshire, and sometimes to the islands off the coast, to collect small creatures from the tidal pools and to study the flora and fauna of the countryside. I owe a great debt of gratitude to Dr. Grant, afterwards Professor of Natural History at University College London, who was then at Edinburgh. Another great influence on my early life was Professor Jameson, who was then beginning his splendid Museum of Natural History. Indeed, I well remember the effect upon my young mind of one of his lectures on zoology entitled The Origin of the Species of Animals. But my heart was not in my studies, and after two years, I was again summoned to my father's study. Sit down, Charles. No. Once again, I'm compelled to consider your future. I've learned, in a roundabout way from your sisters, that you do not relish the idea of becoming a physician. Well, sir, I... Do not interrupt me, sir. I've given the matter most serious thought and have resolved that, rather than that you should turn into an idle sporting man, that you should attend another university. As the only learned professions open to a gentleman are medicine, the law and the ministry, 
I intend to send you to Cambridge with the object of becoming a clergyman, a man of the cloth. Well, what do you say to that boy? Well, sir, this is indeed somewhat sudden. May I have a few days to think it over? Hmm? Oh. Yeah, well, yes, uh, return to me in three days' time with your answer. I soon realized that I had many scruples regarding my belief in all the dogmas of the Church of England. I spent the next two days reading up everything I could find on the subject of divinity, and as I didn't then in the least doubt the structure and literal truth of every word in the Bible, I soon persuaded myself that our creed must be fully accepted. <laughs> it never struck me how illogical it was to say that I believed in what I could not understand and what is, in fact, unintelligible. <laughs> Considering how fiercely I've been attacked by the Orthodox, it seems ludicrous that I once intended to be a clergyman. What was the reason behind your diverting your energy from studying for the ministry to that of a lifetime of natural history research? Well, I suppose in many ways it was the convivial company I kept at Cambridge. My time was sadly wasted there. You mentioned earlier that two men influenced you greatly during your short time at Edinburgh, um, Dr. Grant and Professor Jameson. Did any such person have an influence upon your life whilst at Cambridge? Oh, indeed, yes. The Reverend George Henslow, a brilliant botanist who really guided and developed my interest in natural history and who, in later years, was to play a major part in directing my endeavours. He was a wonderful man in so many ways, especially in the encouragement which he afforded all young naturalists. Two or three times in each session he would take excursions with his botanical class, either a long walk to the habitat of some rare plant, or in a barge downriver to the fens, or in coaches to some distant place as to Gamlingay to see the wild lily of the valley, and to catch on the heath the rare natterjack. He would pause from time to time, and then lecture on some plant or other object. He could tell us something about every insect, shell or fossil we collected, for he was skilled in every branch of natural history. Yes, I owe a great deal, a very great deal, to the Reverend George Henslow. Did any others influence you? Oh, without doubt, Sir John Herschel, whose book titled Introduction to the Study of Natural Philosophy, uh, filled me with a burning zeal to add my own humble contribution to the noble structure of natural science. And another book gave me a desire to visit strange places to see new and exotic plants, animals and insects. This was Alexander von Humboldt's work, which dealt with his travels to the equinoctial regions of America at the turn of the century. In January 31, I took my degree. Then, in the summer of that year, something happened which was to change my life completely and forever. I had been on a geological expedition to Wales and returned to the mount to see if there was any post. And was there? <laughs> there was indeed. The British government had decided to complete the survey of the south coast of South America and had selected the Beagle 
a gun brig, to undertake this work during a voyage that would last at least three years. It was to be commanded by Captain Robert Fitzroy. George Peacock, Professor of Anatomy at Cambridge, a man I did not know, had the authority of nominating naturalists for such expeditions, and had been asked to nominate one for the Beagle. He'd passed the letter on to my friend Henslow, who suggested that I should be the one to go. The all-important letter was from Peacock, offering me the post, and also enclosed one from Henslow to me. Thrilled with such a wonderful opportunity, young Charles Darwin went straight to his father to ask his permission to go. He outlined the course of the voyage to Patagonia, Tierra del Fuego, to explore the coasts of Chile and Peru and some Atlantic islands, and to carry a chain of chronometrical measurements around the world, returning by way of the Indian archipelago to England. It was expected that the ship would sail towards the end of the year, but his request was met with immediate opposition. To the young Darwin, his father was a formidable man, whose word was law. His father had objected to his sailing in the Beagle, and that was enough. But he was human enough to be bitterly disappointed at the other's decision, and with a heavy heart he wrote to Henslow, declining the invitation. My father, though he does not decidedly refuse me, gives such strong advice against going that I should not be comfortable if I did not follow it. He then went to stay with the Wedgwoods in their huge Elizabethan house called Mare, a place which the young man loved even more than his own home. When Josiah Wedgwood heard of Robert's decision, he did everything possible to change the other's mind. Finally, to Charles's great relief, his father agreed to withdraw his objections. After that, my dear father graciously gave his consent to my going, and even agreed that he would find Nancy.